Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. Take your Bibles this morning and go with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah and go to chapter 11. And we're working through on these uh, four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're looking at the season of Advent. Advent literally just means the arrival of a notable person or thing. No more notable arrival, no more important person, no more important event than the arrival of Jesus coming in as the hope of the world. And so we're celebrating that over the four weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. And so just a reminder that Christmas Eve is two weeks from today. So again, as you saw in the announcements, uh, 10 in the morning, 6 in the evening, both are Christmas Eve services, both the same service. If you want the candlelight and that whole thing, we just want you to come, choose one of those, bring somebody, bring a friend, bring a family member, bring a curious enemy, just bring someone (laughs) that uh, could just come. And we know that God is pouring out his conviction in these days, and we just want to respond and partner with him in that. And so we enjoy. want to invite you to be with us there on Christmas Eve. So again, we're looking at Advent. The prophet Isaiah is the primary prophetic voice uh, in the Old Testament who spoke of the coming Messiah. That word Messiah is the Hebrew word for, it means, literally it means to be smeared with the anointing oil. That's what Messiah means, to be covered with the anointing oil. In the Greek, that word is Christ. So same, same meaning, different words, different languages, but the, the, the meaning is the same, to be covered with oil, the anointed one. And so we know by faith that, that who Isaiah was prophesying about was the man Jesus Christ who came into this world and split time in half. We looked last week at how Isaiah occupied the role not only of prophet to the nations, but also as a prophetic intercessor. We looked at how an intercessor is the person who prays the prayer that must be prayed. An intercessor is the one who prays the prayer that others should pray, but either cannot pray, will not pray, do not pray. An intercessor says, I will step in that gap and I will pray that prayer. And God moves on that prophetic praying and intercession. And so Isaiah is ministering in a time where things are quite dark politically. Things are dark financially. Things are difficult for God's people, the Jewish people that he was ministering to. Uh, in his day, they were being oppressed, actually. They were actually in captivity uh, under the, the oppression and the rule of the Babylonians. And the Bible makes it clear that what the, the reason for that was because the nation had rebelled. They had rejected the ways of God. They had gone after other gods. They had fallen into idolatry and sexual immorality. And as a result, God allowed that season of oppression and captivity because God will take anything. How many know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? And sometimes adversity in our lives, God will use it. He'll waste nothing. God will use the adversity in your life. And I found in my life that sometimes the difficult places are where the Lord persuades my heart yet again of my infinite need for him. Sometimes it's not a recipe. It's not a prescription. If we can cultivate sensitive hearts in good seasons or seasons where there's less adversity, 
what, what we can do is keep our heart tuned to the Lord outside of the difficulty. But sometimes the difficulty reminds me, Lord, I need to depend on you. Sometimes I can begin to feel self-sufficient and lean on my own might and power. And God will draw us in his loving kindness, even through difficult circumstances. And so Isaiah is prophesying to the people that the way things are is not the way it's always going to be. And that their immediate circumstance isn't the only thing on God's mind. How many know your immediate circumstance, that's not the only thing God's thinking about. When God looks at you, he's looking beyond you. He's looking into the generations that follow after you. God's promises are bigger than the promise. He, he himself is bigger than the promise. And he looks at your life and sees, sees down through the generations, God's outside of time, and he's looking at the whole picture, and he's working everything into the conformity of his will. And so they're in a difficult circumstance, and Isaiah says it's not always going to be this way. There's a Messiah coming. There's one who's covered with the oil from heaven. We call that the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. And so the people are beginning to understand that they need a deliverer. This isn't our text today, but Haggai 2.7 says this. It says that I will shake all the nations, and then the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill my house with glory. God works in the dark. He works in the shaking and in the disturbance to do what? To produce in people the recognition of their greatest desire. What you need, what I need, what the nations of the world need is not a political deliverer. We don't need a financial breakthrough. We don't need all of these other lesser things. And when we put our hope in those inferior baskets and drink from those inferior wells, we find ourselves yet lacking. And the desire of all nations is not a natural deliverer it's a supernatural deliverer we need the messiah the one covered with the anointing oil and so what we all need is a divine ruler who rules firmly in righteousness how many know that's what our nation needs we need the we need the ruler who rules firmly in righteousness and so isaiah prophesies the advent or the coming of the anointed one. Isaiah chapter 11, let's look at verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Just pause there. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Isaiah prophesies the coming of the anointed one and he says it will be like a shoot coming from the stump of Jesse. Now we have to back up and understand what is he talking about? Well, who is Jesse? In the Old Testament, Jesse was the father of David who became the king of Israel. God made a covenant with David. And God said to David, he said, I'm making a covenant with you that you will never fail to have a descendant that will sit on the throne. And then the covenant takes prophetic messianic tone and it's there, there is a seed coming from you that will rule the nations. And so in the immediate, there was this interpretation that Israel was going to have a Davidic line of kingship. 
But in the prophetic timeline of understanding the way that God thinks way bigger than we think, he was saying, there's a deliverer and a king, not just of the Jews, but a king of kings and a Lord of lords for all the nations. And that king is coming from the line of David. And so the prophet says that there is a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And what that paints a picture for us of is that the nation of Israel in captivity and under oppression picture a tree that is cut down. That cut down tree looks like the end of things. It looks like how could there ever be a a king that would sit on the throne of David's line when we as a nation aren't even recognized right now. We're under Babylonian oppression and rule and we sit under this other wicked king. But I want you to know, out of the stump of your disappointed prayers and out of the stump of what has been cut down and cut short and out of the stump of seemingly dead promises and expired hope, God brings about a deliverance and there's a a shoot that rises, a fresh seed that comes right out of what's been cut down. When it looks like it's over, God is still working. There's a sprouting of renewal and a blossoming of what was dead coming back to life. God does not need a statistical advantage to win. And the way that things look is not exactly what's going on. And I'm prophesying into your life right now that if it feels like your hope has been cut off, we serve a God who works beneath the surface. What do I mean he works beneath the surface? Look at what it says. From his roots, everybody say roots. From his roots, a branch with a capital B, a branch will bear fruit. I want to encourage you that God works beneath the surface. When everything looks like it's cut down and cut off and disappointment is your inheritance, God's still watering the seed of his promise in your life and from the roots will come a branch that bears fruit. When all looks lost, God's working in the dark. Where no one else sees, God is watering the roots of his promises beneath the ground. There's a shoot from the stump. For the parent that feels like your child has gone too far and has wandered too far from God and they're beyond hope, I want you to know that God is bringing a shoot from the stump in Jesus' name. For those that are dealing with illness and symptom and pain that's been going on a long time and you're wondering why hasn't God healed me yet or brought about the answer yet, there is a shoot from the stump. God's watching over his word. Jeremiah 1.12 says, I am watching my word to see that it's fulfilled. Isaiah 55, 11, God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it out. God watches over his word. And what God's saying through the prophet Isaiah is I want you to know I remember the promise I made to David. I'm not embarrassed by what's going on. I'm not embarrassed by the cut down tree. I'm not put off by the circumstance that looks like it's too far gone and looks like nothing good can happen. I'm not hiding. I'm right here owning it. I'm the God of David. And there's a shoot coming from the stump of Jesse. I'm watching over my word. And I will not leave you abandoned. 
Hallelujah. God is watering the roots of his word this morning. He's watching over his promise. When it looks like hope is unreasonable, stand in faith. Isaiah 7, 9 says that if you will not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14 says, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm, therefore, Paul says. We stand by faith, not just by grabbing hold of a strong willpower, but anchored to what the Lord has said. And so Isaiah prophesies to a people whose hope is deferred and to a people who are living under oppression. And he says to them, I want you to look at the stump. It's not done. It's not over yet. Look at the stump. There's a shoot from the stump and the roots are being watered and the promise is coming to pass and you'll see it in Jesus' name. Our God stands undefeated. Even when he died, he was winning. Even when Jesus went to the cross, he was winning. He stands undefeated. The Savior of the world is faithful to his promise, and he's watching over his word. He works out everything in the conformity of the purpose of his will. And so here is the prophet Isaiah in context saying to the Israeli people, saying to the exiles living under Babylonian oppression, I remember the covenant I made with David. A better king is coming. The king over every king is coming. The shoot from the stump of David and that branch, again with a capital B, Jesus, the branch, will bear fruit. That's Jesus Christ. Isaiah was saying, hey, it's an Advent Sunday. He's on his way. Hold on to hope. He was declaring that this Messiah is coming. And so the question is, well, then what are we to look for? If the king is coming, if the, if the Messiah is coming, if the shoot from the stump, the branch from the roots, if that king is coming, what are we to look for? Go to verse 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Say that with me. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Say that one more time. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's the anointing. That's the covering of the oil of heaven. That's the Holy Spirit resting on the life of Jesus the Christ. Christ, not as his, it's not his last name. It's the description of the Spirit of the Lord resting on him. It's, the, it's being anointed, the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one. What are we looking for? We're looking for an anointed one. We're looking for the anointed one. Well, what does that look like? Well, the next few verses, the next verse and a half really uh, describe how the anointing operated in the life and ministry of Jesus. There are six characteristics that we can identify as we read through the latter half of verse 2 and then verse 3. What does the anointing look like? What does it look like when the Spirit of God rest upon, rested upon Jesus? Well, he'll give to him what? The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. He'll give him the spirit of counsel and of power. He'll give him the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, as we look at those verses, I look at it, and I think, man, we could take a couple of months just unpacking that. Maybe we will in the future, but today I'm preaching Advent, so we're just going to move through here. But what I want us to see is the supremacy of Jesus, the perfect harmony of our triune God. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came to rest upon him. And Jesus walked in the power of the Holy Spirit in dependence upon the Father. How do I know that? Because Jesus said that. Jesus said, I only say what? What I hear my Father say. I only do what? What I see my Father do. And we know that Jesus, we know the moment that Jesus received his anointing. He was baptized in the river Jordan. And when he came up out of the river, God the Father spoke his pleasure over God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit came and rested upon Jesus. It's the fulfillment right there of the beginning, the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's the fulfillment of Isaiah 11. The Spirit of God came to rest upon him and the anointing of God the anointing of the Holy Spirit reveals the mind of God both in wisdom and revelation that's what we see in this text look at how the anointing operates operated in Jesus but I want to say to you by faith this is the anointing that is available to you and to me the Bible says in Romans 8 11, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you he's also going to quicken your mortal body meaning what the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead when he's in your life he's going to help you do life in his power that's going to change some options for you. When, they, when you begin to recognize the third person of the Trinity lives inside of you, you have a whole new way of being able to live life under the power and rule of the Spirit of God in you. And so look at how the anointing reveals the mind of God in wisdom and revelation. Look at how the anointing operates in your thinking. How many need God's help in how you think? Amen. Some of you are like, no, I'm good. How many, how many think you need God's help in how you think? Okay, That's what the anointing produces. And this is where Isaiah prophesies it. That he, he says that the anointing will, will give you the spirit of wisdom and counsel. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and power, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and delight in the fear of the Lord. Then it says that Jesus did not judge by what he saw with his eyes, or decide by what he heard with his ears. So we see kind of two parts to how the Holy Spirit helps us think, think right. Thinking under the anointing. Firstly, we see that God wants us to think clearly under the anointing. Wisdom and understanding. Counsel and power. Knowledge. These things are the ability to think clear. Then we see that the, the, mind, the, the mind of the Lord is that Jesus didn't decide or judge by what he saw with his eyes or by what he heard with his ears. Meaning that wisdom is the ability to think clearly under the anointing and revelation is the ability to know things that you otherwise would not know, but God knows. That makes you dangerous to darkness. 
That gives you an advantage when you're praying for your kids. That gives you an advantage in your life and ministry and business and all that God has called you to put your hand to. That you need to think clearly under the anointing and you need to ask God for help to show you what you couldn't possibly know. That's how the anointing was working in Jesus giving him the ability to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding and also the spirit of revelation and discernment. That's available to you and to me. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 12 says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except for the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. You understand what a big deal it is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? You recognize what a huge deal it is that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God? And he is revealing those things to you so that you can think clearly under the anointing. You can make good decisions with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and counsel and power. And you can also make decisions not just based on what you see with your eyes or hear with your ears. But you can actually go through life knowing that God is helping you think clearly and he's showing you what you do not know. Amen. That's good news. This is how the anointing was operating on Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that rested on Jesus, listen, will anoint every life that is yielded to him. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you by faith if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't know about you, but I know I need the spirit of God to rest on my life. I need the spirit of God to rest on my family. We need the spirit of God to rest on this church. That's a great prayer to pray. Holy Spirit, come rest on me. See, he doesn't strive with me. He rests on me. God's not limited in the imagery that he chooses to reveal himself. When he comes and reveals himself as a gentle dove, that's meant to, he's not telling us the Holy Spirit's a bird. He's teaching us something about his nature. He's saying he wants to just come and rest. A, a, a dove can be stirred or disturbed quickly, but if you'll be peaceful, that dove will remain. He comes to rest upon yielded lives. This is what Advent promises, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what binds all of this together in the verses that we've just read is the fear of the Lord. It says, if the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You know what we need? We need the fear of the Lord. I could tell you right now, what you need, what I need in an increased way is the fear of the Lord. Yes. What do I mean? I don't mean to be afraid of God. I mean the fear of the Lord. I, I mean to have reverence for the Lord and to tremble only at His word, not at what other people think to care more for what he says and for what he is lining up for me in eternity than to care what you think of me in the short term. That's the fear of the Lord. David prayed in Psalm 86, verse 11. He said, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth 
and give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Other translations say, unite my heart to fear your name. We looked at this last week about how doubt is to be double-minded. What David is saying is saying, God, I want you to eliminate the double-mindedness within me. Unite my heart to fear only your name. I don't want to fear what people think. I want to fear God. I don't want to be afraid of the devil. I want to have the holy fear of God. I don't want to have a fear of lack. I want to have confidence in my God will supply all my needs. I don't have a fear of illness. I want to know that Jehovah Rapha is my healer. I want to put all my eggs in the basket of total faith and dependence on God. So, Lord, would you unite my heart to fear your name? Give me an undivided heart so that I can walk with you. Psalm 86, 11, that is a prayer you need to highlight and get it on your lips. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Drive double-mindedness from me. Let me think clearly under the anointing. Give me the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and power and knowledge. And Lord, let me not just decide by what I see with my eyes or hear with my ears, but help me to hear the voice of God and do it all, Lord. Weave it all together and bind it all together in the fear of the Lord at a heart level inside of me. I want you to know your every answer is found in him. Jesus was perfectly yielded and became perfectly anointed. And he is the anointed one. He is the ideal ruler. He rules. And we're going to look at that now as we continue to work through Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verse 4. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the bread of his lip, breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Pause there. If you take the time in God's word, some of us are more concerned. Let me say this just for free. You, you need to, how many have read the whole Bible before in your life? Okay, if you've not read the whole Bible, what could be more important on your reading list? Get the word into you. Read the word. Love the word. Devour the word. At least once in your life, read the whole thing. Amen, Pastor Matt. I'm going to do that. I mean, you're two weeks away from a New Year's resolution. Just make it on the list. I'm going to read the whole Bible. Amen. I'm going to say, I'm going to read the whole Bible. What are you afraid of? How many are you going to say, I'm going to read the whole Bible? What are we doing? How far do I have to back the bus up? How many are going to say, I'm going to read the whole Bible? <laughs> what are we doing here? Don't wait for me to preach every verse in the Bible. Read it. Okay. Now, having said that, some of us in our secret time, in our private time with the Lord, we get more concerned with quantity than we do quality. What do I mean? It's all quality. It's all God's word. But when we're just trying to prove to God, I read five chapters today or two chapters today or a whole chapter or ten chapters, sometimes we're blitzing past things and we're not allowing it to impact our heart the way it should. And just taking time to let God's word. So get God's word until you read it. Get the whole, at least read the whole thing at least once. Right? Amen. We also were going to do that. But then when you are taking time in the word, let God speak to you. Now when you read verse 4, if you take your time in that verse... 
what begins to get stirred in you is a desire for that kind of ruler. Because something is in the desire of every human heart. We need righteous judgment on behalf of the needy. Something inside goes yes to that. Amen to that. We need justice in the decision making of, for the poor of the earth. We do. We need justice. Injustice grates against your nature and mine. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. That's why. And, and there's a longing when we see injustice. Here's what happens. Sometimes we, our passion gets hijacked into political things. Now, cast a vote, do all that stuff. But sometimes we've got believers putting their faith into politics instead of keeping their faith in King Jesus. So, like, do your, do your political part. And we need people who are called and anointed into the political realm. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying for the average believer that is in, in their getting agitated, what you're agitated for, you're looking for what no man, what no woman can fulfill. Only King Jesus can do it. He's the ultimate ruler. He's the king of kings. That's what it means. It's not just a cool lyric in a song. He's the king of kings. He's better than all the other kings. Every other kingdom is under his. Every other ruler is under him. And when you read verse 4, you go, yeah, we need, we need justice. Injustice grates against us. And our hope isn't found in a proper ballot. Our hope is found in King Jesus ruling the nations. Amen, Pastor Matt. That's a good word. We need to be reminded. It's him. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for Jesus. And how does he rule? Look what it says. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. The rod of his mouth, that is the power of his word. He rules by his word. Do you know that when God speaks, he creates? At creation, God spoke and everything came into existence. He spoke order by his word. Paul picks up on it in the New Testament and says that at his word, everything is held together. This universe is still held together, not because of gravitational force and all. He's using all of it. It's his word that holds it together. John's gospel says that Jesus himself is the word made flesh. That's the advent. That's the incarnation. You know when you go for tacos and you get carne asada? <laughs> carne is meat incarnation. God took on meat. I'm not being silly. That's the root word. That what God took on flesh. He took on meat. You're never going to eat carne asada again. You're like, wait a second. This feels wrong. The incarnation is God taking on flesh. And he rules. He's the word incarnate. He rules with the rod of his mouth. Psalm 2, David gets this insight into what's going on in the world and what's going on in heaven. And he says in Psalm 2, you don't have to go there, he says, why do the nations rage or conspire? The people's plot in vain and they take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one. That is what, 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 what David saw. There is the nation's rage where he said they conspire. There's a conspiracy against the anointed one. The New Testament calls that conspiracy against the anointed one, calls that the spirit of the antichrist because Christ is anointed. So, so th this conspiracy against the anointed one is what is the underpinning 
to godless government. It's a raging against the rule of Jesus. Now, here's a spoiler alert. Jesus wins. He's already won. And so, so the conspiracy is foolish. But David says in Psalm 2, this, this, this is the conversation that he hears between God the Father and God the Son. He says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations an inheritance for you. This is God the Father speaking to God the Son. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And you will rule them how? With an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like property. What is that iron scepter? That's the rod of his mouth. That's what Isaiah was talking about in the verse that we're, we're, we're unpacking right here. He will rule with the rod of his mouth. He rules the nations with the rod of his mouth. That's the word of God. Hear me, the most powerful force in the world is not political. It's not financial. It's not military. It's not nuclear. It's not influence and media and followers and likes or any other thing. The most powerful force in all of the universe is the word of the living God. And when we become persuaded of that, then we stop shaking like a leaf when the conspiracy of the nations is doing what those nations do. We understand God already offered, Jesus already asked, the nations belong to him and he rules with the rod of his mouth. And we find ourselves like those exiles they were waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. We find ourselves waiting for him to return a second time. He came first as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. And he will rule with the rod of his mouth and smash the nations to pieces. The advent of Jesus introduces us to the rule of God on the earth. Hear me. By his word. That's how he rules. Isaiah 11, 5, back in the text. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor dest destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and the place of his rest will be glorious." The rulership of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus changes everything. He comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes to rule the nations and to fill the earth with his glory. He comes to restore order to the earth in an otherworldly way. His kingdom is not of this world. 
And Isaiah unpacks it, saying this is what it looks like. The lion lays down with the lamb. The baby cow, the calf, lays down with cubs of a bear. The underpinning of conflict that is always just brewing beneath the surface, isn't it? There's always just that, that violent disagreement just beneath the surface. What are you talking about, Pastor Matt? Go on social media. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Accidentally cut someone off on the road. You'll know what I'm talking about. There's, there's this ought and opposition that's just kind of a constant state of friction. And the prophet Isaiah says, when Jesus rules as the prince of peace, everything changes. That the, that the conflict begins to still. The one who spoke peace to the storm and it listened will speak peace to the nations and they will listen. They'll rally to him. The desired of all nations will come even in the midst of the shaking. Even the animal kingdom will come into peace. And he says, and a child will lead them. Meaning what? Well, in Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying there's a childlikeness that is the entry point and the access pathway into this kingdom and into his leadership and rule. The demands that God explain himself on your terms, it doesn't work that way. The demand that God come along and confirm your arguments and show everybody where you're right and where they're wrong, it doesn't work that way. God, just show everybody that I had it right. He's not interested in proving you right. It doesn't come that way. It comes with the faith of a child, just a, a child will lead. We, we find our way in through the humility and the trust of a child. Jesus personified this in that when God took on flesh in the incarnation, when God took on flesh, Jesus didn't show up as a fully grown man the size of Dwayne the Rock Johnson and say, I'm here, I'm the Messiah. You better follow me. No, he came at conception took on flesh in the womb, developed inside the womb of his mother and was brought to natural delivery and was given birth, not in the most sanitary of conditions, but in a barn. And in that place, God took on flesh, not fully grown, adult, developed, rational, but just small, childlike, formational, dependent needy, neglect that child and they die. He came that humbly to the earth. And a little child will lead them. And it says, we just read it, that there'll be no fear of the serpent. Talking about kids playing around the nest of vipers and cobras and sticking their hand in there. What is that, random imagery? No, that's speaking of the spiritual conflict with darkness will be over. The serpent being the, 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 the evil one. The, the, in, in the book of Genesis, the Nahash, the, 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 the serpent, the one that came along and tempted Eve 
and in the book of Genesis that we take by faith. This is God's record of humanity that Adam and Eve were in a garden given assignment and work because work is not a part of the curse. Amen. And they're, they're working and they're expanding the boundaries of that garden. And then the serpent comes and whispers to Eve and she's tempted and she eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam takes a bite as well and what happens? They suddenly realize they're naked. Conflict suddenly comes into the world's insecurity and, and, and conflict. It doesn't take long and, and one of their sons kills the other at a worship service. It doesn't take long, just a few chapters later and the whole earth is filled with wickedness and violence to the point that God regretted that he made hum- humanity but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and God started over with him and his family and, and rebirth the world after a flood this wickedness that was unleashed came through Satan as he tempted in the form of a serpent he tempted Eve and God spoke to Eve spoke to the to the serpent in judgment in Genesis 3:15 and he says this I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her seed that's a capital S seed he's talking about Jesus I'll put enmity between you and her seed and he will crush your head but you will bruise his heel and see that picture there that's that's the incarnation that's the mission of Jesus that our king, Jesus, conquers through being bruised. He's a wounded healer, a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering. And when he crushed Satan, Satan struck his heel, meaning what? Jesus laid down his life, but he took on the sins of the entire world. God the Father had to turn and look away, and there is God the Son taking on and becoming the sins of the world, pierced in his flesh, the crown of thorns driven into his head, beard pulled from his face, the the, the sword thrust into his side, heaving on that cross, drowning in his own fluids, and with every breath speaking out love and forgiveness to those who would have faith in him. God took on the meat of our existence and then was abused to violent death in willing sacrifice and in that bruising he paid for your deliverance and mine what a savior first john 3 8 says for this purpose was the son of god made manifest to destroy the works of the devil for this reason was the son of god manifest to destroy the devil's works No fear of the dark. No fear of darkness. No fear of the devil. Some Christians, they they, they got too big of a devil in their mind. They don't think they're superstitious, but they're superstitious. Maybe just a little stitious, but some of them are superstitious. (laughs) And there's this this fear of, oh no, what's the devil going to try to do? But for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. In laying down his life on the cross, Jesus is victorious. Verse 10 of our text says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. I 
I don't know about you, but I want him to come and rest right here. Come and rest in my life. We need him to rest upon us. Would you close your eyes? How does the Spirit of the Lord come to rest upon a life? <laughs> Through childlike faith. By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The rule of Jesus is not some far off geopolitical cosmic event. But by faith, the rule of Jesus is apprehended into individual hearts and lives here in this room right now. And if you are here this morning, you find yourself in this house recognizing that there's a distance between you and the rule of Jesus. I'm here to tell you that King Jesus is Lord of all, but he's knocking on the door of your heart to say, could I come in? Would you make me Lord of your life? Would you surrender? Meaning what? I'm done living for me. I'm done being part of the conspiracy against the anointed one. I'm done raging against the purpose of God for my life. I'm drawing near to you, Lord, in faith. How? Childlike faith. Childlike faith in that it might even sound too easy to be true. Too good to be true. Too simple. That I could confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. The Lord over every Lord. He is the ruler. That if I could confess that with my mouth and believe it in my heart, that he's Lord and that God raised him from the dead. God's word tells us, Romans 10, 9, then we'll be saved. Really just like that? You were saved. Pulled out of darkness into his wonderful light. Called to live in the light of his face. And so if you're here this morning, before we do anything else, if you're here and you would say, I must, before anything else happens, see in this room, that some of you, this might be the clearest you've been able to think in, in, in countless days, maybe years. Why? Because this is the resting place of the Lord. The spirit of counsel and understanding, wisdom and power and knowledge. It's here in this room. And in that atmosphere of his holiness, the spirit of God rests to convince us that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I'm not calling anyone out except for that I would put a mirror in front of this message and preach it to me. I'm a sinner needing a savior. Same is true for every person who's ever drawn breath, but I can't persuade you of that and I would fail you if I did. It has to be that the spirit of God makes that true to your heart that you recognize I need to yield to the lordship of Jesus. See, it's that childlike faith. I can't give that to you, but he can. And in this room today, the Spirit of God is searching hearts, convincing us of sin and righteousness, meaning what? I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, convincing us of righteousness, that He is actually my righteousness and I can only be cleansed in Him and Him alone. And if you're here today and you'd say, I need to get right with Jesus and I need to confess Him to be the Lord of my life, before we do anything else, I want you to lift your hand so that I can pray with you. Yes, right here. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Thank you, Lord. Seven, 
8, 9. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You put your hand down. Is there anyone else? 10. Thank you, Jesus. 11, 12. Amen. 13. Thank you, Jesus. You're convincing me, Holy Spirit, that I need you. And I won't resist you. I come. Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, I come. If you didn't raise your hand before, but you'd say, that's me too, include me, Pastor. I want to pray and ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Yeah, 14. Thank you, Jesus. 15. Thank you, Holy Spirit. See, all over this room, the Spirit of God is searching hearts and working on the heart to say, come, come into the kingdom. If you love Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you just raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer along with us. If you raised your your hand to say, I need to give my life to Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer that I want you to repeat after me. Would you do it? Father God, if you raised your hand, would you pray this with me? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for conviction. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. But you love me so much. You took on flesh and you took on my sin. You took on my sorrow. You paid for all of it. And you rose victorious over death to give me the hope of new life. I confess Jesus Christ is the Lord and God raised him from the dead. And I declare that I will follow you from this day forward for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Give me everything that I need to walk in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say if you just prayed that for the first time, I want to encourage you to pray. Learn how to just talk to God. I want to encourage you to read the Bible. I want to encourage you to get water baptized. Get plugged into a, a local church that loves the Word of God, a church like this. If you want to get plugged in here, we'd love to connect with you. I want you to get baptized in the Holy Spirit and ask the Spirit of God to completely empower and change your whole life. And then I want to encourage you to share Jesus with other people because that's the whole purpose why we're here is to spread the light all over the world. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to meet with me and Pastor Paul at the end of this service just up up over here on my right, your left, so that we can follow up with you. I want the whole church to stand. We're going to just pray. We're not that far over time, but this is why we came. Let's not rush now. Amen. I want to pray for those who feel like the promise in your life has been chopped down. Like if you, if you felt 
as I was preaching that, again, we're not, I'm not saying you're making some big theological statement. I'm just saying that what resonated in your heart is, man, that, that hit me. I feel like some of the things I hoped for were chopped down. And it seems like I can't get to that place of promise. I want to pray for you because I believe that the shoot from the stump is about to emerge in these days. In Jesus' name. If you felt like that word was for you, I want you to just lift up your hands and I want to pray for you. Would you do that? Just lift them up good and high. This is a moment of faith. It's not insecure. Go ahead, just reach out to heaven all over this room. Come on, church, we're just going to pray. If you pray in the Holy Spirit, just go ahead, just begin to pray in the Spirit right now. Let's just, let's just nurture, let's just water the ground with faith all over this room. Father, you see your people. You see the hands stretched forward, God. You see, Lord, the faith behind it saying, God, I'm longing for your promise to be fulfilled in my life and my experience right now. I know I'm not seeing the whole picture, but the picture I see looks like things are cut down and that there can't be a, a, a fulfillment here, but I'm saying by faith, I'm reaching to you by faith, the Lord, you said you're watching over your word to perform it. Father, I thank you that right now, by your word and by your spirit, you're watering the roots of faith all over this room. You're watering your word. You're watering your promises. And I, I declare in Jesus' name that a shoot from the stump is emerging in Jesus' name. That the hope of heaven is emerging in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you're taking all things and you're working them together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Father, I pray right now, Lord, for those whose hope is deferred. Heal their broken hearts today in Jesus' name. Father, would you bring uh, encouragement into their spirit, not just willpower, but spirit of God. Would you come and pour out the oil of joy this morning? I thank you, Lord, that those who are hanging on for a son or a daughter, that, Lord, they're not just hanging on vainly, but we're hanging on by faith. That, Lord, you said you will fight those who fight us, and our children you will save. And we ask God for household salvation in Jesus' name. You touch our kids and bring them into an encounter with the living God. Water the roots of faith, God. Let the branch bring forth fruit in this day in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want the whole church, I want us all to pray into this. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. I want us to pray that the Lord would give us the fear of the Lord. If you feel like that's not for you, I want you to just trust me, it's for you. Put your hands up. We're going to just pray. Come on, can we go for this as a, as a whole church? This is what we need. This is what we need. We need what David prayed. Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. Show me what it means. Holy Spirit, teach me the fear of the Lord. Would you pray that over yourself? Holy Spirit, teach me the fear of the Lord. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Cancel my doubts, God. Cancel out the unbelief. Cancel out the things that are fighting for attention and airtime in my spirit. I just want Jesus. I just want you. Nothing else. Like we sang this morning, God, now we pray it. We just want you. Father, our hands are stretched out to you. Our whole church, we're all saying, God, this is what we need. We need you to unite our hearts to fear your name. Teach us the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of thinking clearly under the anointing. Come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, touch us in the spirit of our mind. God, would you give to us, Lord, where, where we have been, uh, where we have had maybe some theology that's made us loose, where you want us to be firm. Father, would you bring that conviction to our hearts? 
Help us where we don't even know we need the help. That's why our hands are up. We, don't, we can't even get our hands on it. Our hands are up just saying, God, help. Help us, Holy Spirit. Come on, pray with me, church. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help me. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Teach me the fear of the Lord. Put conviction on me that I didn't know I needed. Lord, where I've disagreed with you, bring me into agreement. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Exercise your lordship in my life. Show me your ways. And I'll walk in them. Give me an undivided heart. Lord, I thank you. You're destroying the works of the devil all over this place today. And we welcome, Lord, the resting place of your glory here in this church, in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, would you say a big amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Well, listen, I want to open up the altar for prayer. Some of you might just want to come and spend some time in prayer just on your own at this altar. We want to open that up. Some others of you might want to have some prayers of agreement. We have a prayer team that's going to join me here at the front. If you want to pray on your own, just maybe just come forward and and just don't approach someone for prayer. But if you want prayers of agreement, we're here to pray with you. And if you prayed a prayer of salvation or recommitment, would you please come and meet with me and Pastor Paul up over here? Pastor Paul's just going to wave at you. So we're just going to be together over here on my right, your left. And we're going to just follow up with you. Walk in the counsel of God. Walk in the anointing of the Lord. Let's anticipate the goodness of God as we go through this week. Thanks for being here this morning. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.